Good. Well, I hope you had a good chance to chat with one another. And um, I don't know, <laughs> I dare ask how many are thinking, whoa, this is unusual, talk about Christmas, and how many are thinking, oh no, uh, you know, you already, even though it's August, somebody I spoke to said, oh, it depressed me because it just reminds me of all the commercialization. Well, the idea of starting or doing this now is to kind of avoid that, but obviously it doesn't always uh, work. This is my one-off in the series that we're doing. And I thought we'd think about um, events surrounding Christmas. That's why the title's called The Geese Are Getting Fat. So if you notice the title, it's a reference to Christmas. Uh, or, or we could call it this, Nativity Without Christmas. You know, although in one sense you can't really prepare early enough, but this isn't that really at all. We, we had a staff team planning meeting, as uh, uh, Dan uh, alluded to. I'm glad to say that the planners we have now on our team are having a good effect on people like me. And so we were planning Christmas to start with in June, and we had another meeting about it uh, recently. So we're already planning. And I think we were a little bit ahead of even the, the, the big stores, the supermarkets, uh, are right now apparently having meetings about what they're going to have and what, the ta- you know, what people are likely to buy at Christmas. But as part of our planning, towards the end of it, we said, well, shall we pray now? And... Um, Someone said, well, let, why don't we just read one of the Christmas accounts? So, so I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. And we read one of them. And for me, and I think others may have uh, agreed, I just like got goosebumps, you know, because as, as what we were reading just struck without all that white noise, without all that other stuff, there's some amazing uh, and wonderful things to think about. And I thought, well, I wonder, does, does all the panic, the mayhem, and all the white noise of what we kind of have as Christmas stop, stop us from really appreciating what it's about? Could we do the coming of Jesus, as it were, or celebrate that without all that Christmas stuff? So today, I want us to look at three of the big Christmas events in Luke's Gospel. We're going to read them together. Um, I'll read them. You follow. Um, they're not. It's not a short reading, but it's... Um, you know, carol service, there's always quite a lot of readings at a carol service, aren't there? So think of it in those terms. So we're going to be looking, first of all, uh, in Luke chapter 1. And I, I, because I wanted to think uh, overall about three incidents and see what, what, what it, you know, what we can kind of learn from them. The first one is centered in Jerusalem. It, it's, it's all about a very old couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's a priest. He's one of thousands or hundreds uh, on the kind of rota of looking after the temple in Jerusalem. And he's had a once in a lifetime opportunity to actually be praying in the holiest part of the temple. It's like winning the lottery for a priest like Zechariah. Actually, it was literally winning the lottery because they were chosen by lot to go in and take that duty. So he's in this most privileged place praying uh, on behalf of the people in the holiest part uh, of the of the temple kind of uh, building in Jerusalem and we pick it up in verse 11 so there he is he's uh, praying and giving incense and then an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense when zechariah saw him he was startled and was gripped with fear but the angel said to him do not be afraid zechariah Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That's the first little incident. Actually, I meant to ask you before I read that, to be as you hear these or read them, here's a question. What have these incidents got in common? Okay. Sorry, I won't read it all again, but that's a question. Be thinking about that. Apart from the fact they're all about Christmas. That's, yeah, that's true, but that's not what I'm thinking of. So let's move on then. And now the story moves, not from in Jerusalem, but to Nazareth in verse 26. So the story goes on. The account goes on. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, be, may, sorry, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. 
And now let's move on. Nine months, or you know, perhaps a little bit less, to the town of Bethlehem. And let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, this is verse 1, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Three stories. Three elements in common. And these three things get a lot, a lot of attention at Christmas. Everyone goes crazy about these three things that there are in common in these stories. But I want to suggest today that the three things that we all go completely nuts about at Christmas are not actually the main thing. You know, if you've got a dog, I've, I don't know dogs, but some in our family have got dogs and got to know a few dogs. The thing about dogs is they don't understand pointing. Have you got that? Ever seen that? So if you say to a dog, go and get that over there, the dog just kind of watches your finger because he thinks you might have got food in it usually or something. And dogs don't get the idea that you follow where they're looking. And sometimes, you know, we can be like that. We look at the sign, but we don't look at what it's pointing to. And we can take these things about Christmas, and I think these things we're going to look at are, are, are like the signs. And we, we get so all excited about what we're seeing, but they're pointing to something much more important. So... Anyone got any idea what the three, uh, anyone like to suggest something that these three things have in common? Angels, someone say angels. Yep, that's one thing I've got, yeah. That was actually the easier one. Any Anything else that they've got in common? I suppose two more than three. I've got for that the manger, the unusual way the birth happens and, you know, unusual circumstances, almost kind of miraculously. And the third thing are the Christmas characters, the people involved. So angels get a lot of attention at Christmas, don't they? They're all over the place in the cards, and everyone goes crazy about them, but the angels are not the main thing. 
They're quirky, they're different, they're mysterious, but they're not cuddly. Actually, everyone in the stories are terrified by them. Every time one appears, the first thing he has to say is, don't be afraid. It's almost like that's angel training 1.0. You know, when you meet a human being, first thing say, don't be afraid, because they're usually terrified of you. Certainly these three were. But the angels aren't the main thing. They're pointing to something much more important. Or there's a whole manger and the stable, the unusual birth, the unusual way of arriving. It's miraculous in the case of Jesus and of John the Baptist. But the way Jesus gets born is not the main thing. It's pointing to something else that matters much more. And the Christmas characters are charming, human. They're all a bit ordinary, but they're all quite special as well. The unmarried couple, the unmarried couple, the old childless couple, the shepherds, the wise men. It's all great stuff. Some of it's actually quite funny. Imagine Zachariah trying to mime what had gone on when he met the angel when he came out. You know, I saw an angel and, and uh, you know, my wife and you know all that kind. Of, is he going to do that? I don't know. It's kind of so. There's shepherds. We. We know shepherds were dodgy geezers. Some of the rabbis at the time said, don't buy anything from a shepherd, it's bound to be stolen. A rabbi called Jeremiah said that. These characters, wonderful though it is, they're not the main thing. They point to something else which is much more important. So I want to think about the main thing in each of these three cases. But the main thing is only really helpful, for me anyway, if if it makes a difference on Thursday afternoons. I'll explain why later. Let's look at the first element. Angels. Intriguing, wonderful, scary, but not the main thing. So what is the main thing? What is the hand pointing to? What is it? Well, there's a clue. Anyone know what the word angel means? Messenger. Yeah, thanks, James. Messenger. The angel means messenger. Here's a clue. When the postman brings you an important letter, what do you talk about? The postman? What a smart postman. Good grief, the postmen are wearing shorts this at the moment, this time of the year. I, I love the red van. He's got a new van. Oh, this is an unusual postman. He seems to have come, you know, from some other planet. That would be a bit different, like an angel. If an angelic postman, you might say that. But the point is, no, you don't talk about the postman. You talk about the letter he's bought, or she's bought. She's a post person, post lady. So, it's about the message. Did you notice in those reading, all the angels bring a word and they've come from God. In fact, Gabriel sounds quite hurt in chapter 1, verse 9, I think. I think when, when Zechariah asks him for more assurance, Zechariah doesn't believe him, basically. And, and Gabriel kind of says, but, but I'm Gabriel, you know. I've just come from the presence of God. I, I just find that slightly amusing, but maybe that it's not meant to be. But, you know, he, he, he said, I've got this word. I've come direct from God to you. Don't you realize that? The word is the important thing. You see it with Mary as well. The angel comes with a word, a truth, a word from God. Same with the shepherds. Check it out in the stories. Read them again. And you trace it all the way through. It's about God's word that is coming through these messengers. The Bible talks about God's word. It it, it talks about, I suppose, itself in a sense. 
And we see in the Bible that uh, the word does things. Action takes place. So Jeremiah talks about the word being like a hammer. Something that achieves. He says the word is like a hammer that breaks rocks. Uh, The book of Hebrews talks about the word being like a sword. Other places in the Bible refer to God's word like that. It's about action. God doing something. But the word is also, as James 1 tells us, like a mirror. You look into the word and you find something out. You reveal, it reveals. So God's word, it, it kind of does things, but it also reveals stuff. Reveals God. That's why Jesus is called the word of God. He does things and he reveals God. So here, Zachariah and Elizabeth are told they're going to have a son. That's the action. They're told that the son is going to be special in God's hands. That's the revelation. Same with Mary. Mary, you're going to have a son and he's going to be God's son. You're, 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 you haven't got a husband and, and you, you know, you're not going to have sex, but you are going to have this son. And this son is going to be this important because of these reasons. There's revelation, explanation there. Same with the shepherds to a lesser extent. This is happening and this is what God says about it. Now, how does this affect us? What can we learn from this? We don't usually have angels coming to us with a personal message from God, do we? But we do have his word. And we do have his Holy Spirit working in our lives. And maybe sometimes we can be like Zachariah, waiting a long time. Waiting for for something. Disappointed by lack of answers to the one prayer we really want. Maybe we can be like him, daring to hope or daring to believe. Or rather, hardly daring to hope. Hardly daring to believe. Maybe we can be like Mary, responsive and obedient. Sure, she tests it. She, she kind of waits until she goes. She, the angel says, go, you know, your cousin, your relative, actually much older than cousin. She's going to have a baby. Go and see her. You'll, you'll find out that it's true. And she does that. She goes and she sees her. Looking for the Spirit's confirmation. Because when she met Elizabeth, boy, did the Holy Spirit confirm the word. Maybe it's for us it's like the shepherds. There's a straightforward response we need to take to go and see for yourself. Is this true? Go and find out. So are you, am I, listening for that word from God? For the Holy Spirit speaking to us through scripture? A word for you or for me as you're seeking the Lord about something individually or perhaps together as a couple or with friends or with a prayer partner. Are we looking to hear God speak to us through his word? Is that how we approach uh, hearing God's word preached or shared or in your house group? Prayers that you no longer dare to voice, dare to hope. But you're going to dare to trust like Mary. Because we can get to the point like Mary where we can say, may your word to me, Lord, be fulfilled. But how do you get there? Well, you have to intentionally get with God. There are ways of doing that through spiritual disciplines, through personal prayer, through reading God's word regularly. For being, being in a community where God's word is lived and talked and prayed about. 
There's ways to be in that place where you can say, Lord, this is your word to me. This is what I've been asking for. I think this is what you're saying. But you have to find that space and have that intention to say, here I am, Lord. What do you want to say to me? And that's what I need on Thursday afternoons. I thought you don't mind me sharing a little bit personally. Recently, uh, I, I've been on a certain kind of medication for a, a mild form of rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis I have. And I've been taking quite a powerful drug, and I have it once a week on Wednesdays. I have it once a week on Wednesdays, and I, I'm not sure whether this is actually the reason, but I've noticed um, over the few weeks that by about Thursday afternoons, about 12 to 18 hours after I take it, or a bit longer, I feel really low. I feel really kind of wretched. And it seems to be connected, and then it kind of passes. Now, you know, for me, that's what I mean by Thursday afternoons, or that time when I'm affected by something, and I'm just feeling terrible, bleak, hopeless. Obviously, if I went that went on forever, I'd need to see a doctor, as should you, if you're feeling like that all the time but it needs to kind of make sense then doesn't it this is no good if it doesn't reach me on Thursday afternoons if on Thursday afternoons I can't hold on to what God says in his word what God says by his spirit about me about him about the situation I'm in it's no good if it doesn't reach me on Thursday afternoons or at least that I can't reach out to him then Now, you could substitute. Maybe for you, it's Monday mornings as you go to work. Or maybe it's Wednesdays when you visit your parents. Or, or, you know, next Friday when you've got a hospital appointment. Or, you know, next time you see your kids or or whatever it is. Or the next time you're on a shift with that difficult work colleague. But that's the time when we need God to speak to us and to live in the light of what he says. Because his word and his spirit come to life in our lives. And in the background, back in Luke chapter 1, there's this prayer that Zechariah was praying as well with the people of Israel. Because God had promised the people of Israel that he was going to come and make himself known to his people again. And Zechariah is told, Zechariah, your boy is going to be part of that. Mary's told that it's all starting now with her. The shepherds were sent to witness that event. So let's take a break and let's sing about that promised expectation that's going on in the background. And we may like to kind of, if you're in that place, as it were, where you're thinking, Lord, I just need you to come in for me in this situation, you could make it a prayer. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Let's stand and sing, have a break, pray this prayer as we sing it, as the band lead us. Thanks. So we've seen then that it's not really all about the angels, but the message they brought, God's word, brought to life by the Holy Spirit. Let's think about those special births. Obviously, there's lots of interest at Christmas time in Jesus' birth. Pictures on cards and all over the place of Mary, usually dressed in blue. I think that comes from the church's interpretation several centuries later. They didn't take photographs at the time. And uh, I think that blue was Mary's color for a while. But um, the stable, the manger, 
massive Christmas industry, little model ones made and all of this, animals. And it's great, isn't it? Well, we've actually got a version from Mongolia at home. It's, you know, fuzzy, little made out of felt. It's a yurt and like a Mongolian type of nativity scene. Nothing wrong with all of that. But really, there's uh, no evidence in the Bible for a stable being involved at all. More likely, it's a packed house. Uh, and they're downstairs with the animals, where the animals were in, in certain houses at the time, at night. Perhaps because they wanted privacy, because there might have only been like one big room everyone slept in. And perhaps Mary and Joseph thought, well, we've got to have this baby somewhere. It might be better to have it somewhere private. I don't know. But it was certainly very humble. And the virgin birth itself is important, and it's true. But it's not really mentioned in the rest of the New Testament at all. And the manger, well, the manger is a sign to help the shepherds. Do you remember what we, what we read? They're, they, they're told, you're going to look for this baby, and it's the one that you'll find in a manger. And that, you know, we want you to go and find that baby, because he's really special. And, and that was what the manger was, was for, partly so that they could find him. And they, they come, um, you know, uh, and encourage Moses, encourage uh, Mary, Mary and Joseph. So what's the big thing then? If it's not the way the baby was born, but it's who he is. It's the identity of the baby that's the big thing. Who Jesus is, not how he was born. And the shepherds, they come with their story of the angels' uh, words to them. They confirm to Joseph and, and Mary with this message. He is the Messiah. You know, Mary, what, what you were told, we just had a whole choir of angels, you know, telling you, Joseph, it's true. You're this boy. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one who's coming. He's king. He's the king God promised. He's the son of the most high whose kingdom will never end. And there's a lot more in the New Testament about that. Who Jesus is. Now, Caesar Augustus at the time, had turned the Roman Republic into an empire. He declared his adoptive father divine and himself to be a son of God. He was seen by everyone to be the rescuer of Rome, the saviour of the world. He'd bought peace after all the civil wars and whatnot. But hidden away, the real king is born. A new era begins. Human empires will not have the last word. God has come into the world. Things are different. And that's good to remember in our world at the moment, isn't it? So where does that leave us then? God has come. This baby, this one, is the Messiah, the promised one. We can know the rescue that he promises. He can be the king over our lives. Those areas of our lives uh, that we just are out of control. We need someone to kind of help us. He comes into the chaos to start something new in us. As the shepherds heard, we can know good news. Great joy can be ours. God's gracious favor can be uh, kind of known in our lives as, as we're put right, as we're forgiven, as what separates us from God is dealt with by Jesus. We can come to know him. Sin has been dealt with. God has intervened. God's feet have touched our earth. He has become one of us. See, the identity of Jesus is a key truth 
It's a key truth to it intellectually. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and he said to me, I, I get it that, that, you know, if Jesus is who he says he is, everything plops into place. And, and uh, I'm struggling with that at the moment. And he's right. Intellectually, that's true. But also emotionally, how we feel the identity of Jesus is a key. Because we're here we have God with our skin. God with us. God who feels pain. God who when he's, he, you know, he's, he, his back is whipped with a, 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 a whip with, with a lead balls in, in it at the crucifixion. He flinches. He feels it. This is the God who's come. It's key. Because when we go through pain, the Bible says he's not far from us. He wants us to reach out personally and find him. To know his help. Know his presence. Know his place at the center of our lives. So the birth, the manger, the singing angels, the visiting shepherds, the wise men with their gifts. It's all amazing. It's all important. It's all great stuff about Christmas. But much more amazing, much more life-changing, much more world-changing is who Jesus is, really. And the fact that I can know him. I can trust my life to him, especially on Thursday afternoons, and so can you. So why don't you do it? Why don't I? We can come to him for the first time. We can give our lives to him as we turn from our rebellion and trust in what he did for us on the cross. And we can keep going in that way even when it's hard. One more thing to think about. We thought about it's not the angels but the word. It's not how he was born but who he is. What's the last one? It's not about the Christmas characters. It's about God's big project as I've called it. See we love the Christmas characters and why not? What's not to love? They're fantastic aren't they? Great, um, amazing things happen. The Eastern astrologers, Joseph's dilemma. Should I divorce her? Has she been unfaithful to me? You know, all of that. The old priestly couple, the smelly shepherds, even the donkey, you know, gets a place, although nothing about the donkey in the Bible. (laughs) We love all that stuff. But there's something else much more important. You know, it links us right into it as well. It's revealed in the words brought by the angels and the Holy Spirit. As Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary speak words from God, they prophesy in these accounts. We didn't read that, but you can look it up and read the rest of chapter 1. You'll see it there. You see, Zechariah's boy is told that he's going to be the one to bring people back to God. The angel quotes the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. A promise of God that the Messiah would come and beforehand someone would come and prepare the way. And Zechariah gets told, you know that Malachi uh, prophecy, Zechariah? You should know that. You're a priest. (laughs) You know the Old Testament by heart. So I'm telling you that your boy is going to be the one who brings the uh, turns the hearts of the father, the sons of the fathers, the sons of the fathers, and so on and so on, who prepare a people back for God. That's your son. That's your boy, Zachariah. He's going to be the one. Something's happening. Something's going on. 
Elizabeth, when she speaks full of the Holy Spirit, did you notice there's a word that keeps coming up? Did you notice that there? The word is blessed. Blessed, 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 she's saying. Now that word rings about. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Sim was talking about mission and Genesis. That was the, the promise to Abraham that God was going to bless him and bless the world through him. Zechariah, I didn't read it, but in his prophecy, he gets it. He says, God, you fulfilled your promise to Abraham. It's happening. God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to come. I'm going to, you're going to get to know me. You're going to become a, my friend in relationship with me. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And uh, Abraham's told, that's the project. You see, God has this big project. And these people in this, these stories have become part of that big project in a big way. Uh, John the Baptist is going to be born and Jesus is coming into the world. Now, let's have an illustration now. See if I can pull this off. I don't know. But Dan's going to help me. Thanks, Dan. Um, imagine this, this kind of... Um, This line of God's purposes, line of God's promises, God's big project. It's like this rope, okay? And it it starts, imagine, yeah, carry on, Dan, if you just roll it out, thank you. It starts behind that door, that's a door there. Pretend that's eternity part. Behind us is eternity, okay? Imagine that. And we're, this is our, you know, the whole of human history on our thing. And, And it starts back in eternity and it's going on through into that door, into eternity, and if you have a look, you might see, thanks Dan, that's uh, brilliant. Here, I'll bring that back a bit. Here's, um, here's Abraham. Because God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, you're going to get to know me, and through you, my purposes are going to get fulfilled. Abraham, here he is, linked in with it. What's he telling these people in our stories? You're joined in to this purpose. Your lives are kind of tied up in it. You're part of the project. Zachariah, Elizabeth, and so on. I won't have got time to do it. Time's going by. Right. Zachariah, oh, right. Anyway, that's how you know I've got arthritis. I can't tie things up, especially when I'm stressed, like now. Right, okay. <laughs> so that's... Um, that's Abraham, a little bit further along the line. That's a thing. Sometimes, sometimes the, the, the program isn't quite in a straight line. You know, all kind of things happen. Have you ever noticed that about God's program? It kind of, it goes through, but it, unexpected directions occur. Now, here's the thing. You and me, we too have become part of this program. You know what it says in Galatians, it says that everyone who's believed, it's in Galatians 2, I've got references if you want them, but not time reading them, has inherited the blessing and the promise of Abraham. Have you believed? So, we're tied in, aren't we? We're part of the program. Our lives, just as their lives, Abraham, Joseph, Mary, and that, that crowd down there at the Incarnation, all these other people, we're all tied in to God's program. And actually, God's program is all fulfilled in Jesus. So in a sense, Jesus is kind of, doesn't quite work, but he's kind of part of this line. And when we become believers, when we trust him, 
It says we become linked with him. It actually says we're in Christ. Galatians 2, Paul says, I was crucified with Christ, but I live by faith. I believe in him. I've trusted him like Abraham did. And I live by faith in him. And I'm part of the program. And uh, you think, well, what about... And, and actually, we'll be part of the program on the other side of that door as well. Because we'll never be broken from Christ, will we? Who knows what God's, how God's program goes on to bless the universe. But it does say in, gener- in, in Revelation that every creature, every sentient being in the universe will one day praise the living God. We can speculate out of that, but not now. <laughs> God's big project. We can be part of it. Did you think that your salvation was all about you getting personally rescued? Or me? Well, it was, but there's a lot more to it than that. We're in the project. We now have a destiny to be blessed by God, to know him. Because Jesus has brought us into that relationship. We've trusted him. We've connected to him. Baptism is a symbol of that. If you haven't been baptized, that's why it would be really helpful if you are baptized, if you're a believer. Because it reminds us of this connection with Jesus. We've been linked to him. And we're linked to the program. And we're kind of connected to Abraham and all these other dudes. Because God's purposes for Israel are now God's purposes for all of his people. Jew, Gentile, whoever believes in Jesus. Now I think that's worth living for, don't you? I think that kind of is quite exciting. See, Christmas is about ordinary people like carpenters, old couples, young girls, smelly shepherds, all those kind of people being caught up in this project. And that's where we too can be. Well, we are. You're either kind of with it, you know, intentionally living in the joy of it, or you're, you're just kind of drifting along, not even realizing you're part of it. But, you know, we're connected. God will use us or he wants to. So how about, as I finish, living our lives in a new way, knowing the king better, joining him in the project, to see your life differently. Ask that question, how does my life today connect with this big project? A friend of mine was once in a, a London club, not, you know, a dodgy club, but a gentleman's club, with a member of the House of Lords, a peer of the realm. And, and he sat having a breakfast with this member of the House of Lords, and my friend said to him, so now, Lord so-and-so, you're, a, you're an aristo, you're a, you know, and you're a Christian. Now, how does you, um, how does being a member of the House of Lords connect with God's big program? Have you ever thought of that? And the, the peer of the realm put his knife and fork and said, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before. And he went on to become really key in all kinds of ways in raising, in this case, the profile of world mission. But because he saw his part in the project, his life took on a new day. And I, know, I don't think any of us are members of the House of Lords, but the point applies to wherever we are. How are we connected to the plan? All kinds of ways we could do, but I really must stop. How is my life going to be part of it? How will I live with God's presence and purpose as I go to work? 
as I live my life. It might be that I'm in touch with people from other nations. It might be that I'm just asking God that I may live a salty life that, that create questions. Maybe that I'm going to say, well, I want to find out what King Jesus and his um, kind of reign in my life, how that affects the way I think about the subjects people talk about at the water cooler at work. And maybe we need to help one another with that because there's some pretty tricky subjects out there at the moment. So it might be an intention to do that. But however it is, it's saying, well, how am I, how's my life, how are our lives going to connect with that big purpose? So it's not the Christmas angels that matter. It's God's word in action and revelation. It's not the manger and the stable that are the main thing. It's the identity of the king. And it's not the Christmas characters in the nativity play. It's God's big plan, God's big project that we are part of. And that continues on. Because the king is my savior and your savior if you trusted him. God's word is for action and revealing in my life and your life and our community as a church. So we can change and grow. Let's not miss that. Just because we're put off at Christmas by all the other stuff that goes on. Dan, back to you or band or wherever we're going. I think, are we going straight into it? Yes, sir.